Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 277, and I had a conversation with Brad Kopenick. And Brad is part of the Hellmel group, uh, Val Kilmer and Inner City Shakespeare. He's a charter school teacher of the year. Uh, he's an actor. He's been on Friends and Scrubs and Powder and all sorts of movies and done theater and went to school with Kevin Spacey and Mayor Winningham and Val Kilmer and a bunch of really cool cats who were super creative. He's a fascinating guy. And before I get too into Brad, I just want to mention that on September 25th, there's going to be a really cool thing happening. It's an amazing double header event, Val's Potluck Movie Night and Top Gun Celebration. It sounds so cool. Um, it's an online event recognizing U.S. service members, including cast member appearances, celebrity cameos, and live musical performances. It's going to be uh, coming out of Hellmel Studio, and they're going to show Top Gun. They're going to, you know, have conversations. There's going to be fighter pilots that are there doing commentary. I'm just going to read a little bit about it. An eclectic blend of celebrities, artists, and pop culture icons, including everyone from Slash to cast members from Val's films, not just Top Gun, but other films as well. Uh, there'll be live musical performances from Grammy-winning artists and commentary from some of the finest fighter pilots in the world. The special event is going to raise money for the USO and Val Kilmer's Twain Mania Foundation, 100% of the money raised will be split in half and half will go to the USO and half will go to Twain Mania. So it's really exciting. Uh, the tickets for the Top Gun celebration are $8.95, but the other entry to just the main thing um, is free. You can get tickets for both events at sparkrise.com slash go slash Top Gun. And of course, I will put that information in the links page. It's a really cool event. I got to see uh, the the poster that had everybody written down that was going to be showing up for this thing. Amazeballs. You will not be disappointed. And since it's free to just watch online, if you want to do the Top Gun thing, that's $8.95 ticket. But that money goes to those charities. So it's a really cool night for a really great couple causes and I hope you think about being a part of it. It's worldwide so you can do it from anywhere. So that's Saturday, September 25th beginning at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is a worldwide event so wherever you are in the world you can watch it at those times. Well not at those times, at those times in relative terms to your time. You understand what I'm saying. All right so back to Brad. Really interesting guy. Um He's done so much for thousands of kids through the years. Uh, he's he's so much, to me, his personality is so much about giving to others that even every time I tried to ask him about himself, he ended up talking about other kids or other exciting things that he's witnessed about other people. He's definitely someone that has spent a lifetime shining light on others and lifting others up. And it's just such a beautiful um, space to be in. He's really a lovely man. Everybody loves him who meets him. I think he's fantastic. And as soon as I met him, he was just immediately like, tell me all about you. And you're, you know, you're so cool. He was so nice to me, honestly. And, um, you know, we need more of those kinds of people in the world. So it was a delight to have him on the show to talk to him about all the cool stuff he's getting into and all the cool stuff he has gotten into. So yeah, I'm excited for you to hear all about it. Okay, usual stuff, social media, Hey Human Podcast can be found on Facebook and Instagram. You can find all sorts of stuff about me under SusanRuth.com, my art and my music and, and acting, if I do any of that stuff. All that can be found on SusanRuth.com. You can also sign up for the mailing list there. Uh, you can find my personal social media under SusanRuthism, S-U-S-A-N-R-U-T-H-I-S-M. If you dig music, go to iTunes or Spotify and you can find me under Susan Ruth. I've got albums there. So lots going on. Rate and review Hey Human. Let's get back to Hey Human. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Super helpful. 
um, gets it out there more and more and more, the more ratings and reviews it gets. So thank you for that. Take a few minutes to do that. Uh, you can email me, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. And I answer every email. Uh, while you're thinking about HeyHumanPodcast.com, go there to the site and you will find a links page. So much information about every guest I have on goes on the links page. Uh, this is no exception. You will find stuff about Brad and all the work he has done over the years, stuff about Val, because he talked about Val, uh, stuff about Spark Rise, uh, Brad's company, and uh, all, all sorts of things. Oh, and links to that event on the September 25th. That, that sounds incredible. Yeah, lots and lots and lots of stuff on that links page for you to go through. Uh, I think that's about it. I know I've, I've talked a lot, so I'm going to get into the episode. And thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, stay safe. Uh, be well. Take care of each other. Be kind. And, you know, shine your light. Get it out there. We need it. All right. Here we go. Brad Kobanek, welcome to Hey Human. Susan, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. We're in uh, the Val Kilmer Studios. Very we, exciting. We are. This is um, Val's private gallery. It's called Hellmel Studios. And can I do that mission statement thing where we just do say, it. listen, this is, because it is, it's magical. It's a fun, safe, sacred space where eclectic artists gather to collaborate and then through new technologies, beam spark rise display. We inspire giving and we spark change in our community. So whether it's a screening, whether it's a Mark Twain thing for students, whether it's Shakespeare with inner city Shakespeare, a poetry reading, maybe we're showing Tombstone and inviting cast members or Napoleon Dynamite. This is just a place where people gather and, and do cool, cool stuff. You can say Cool, word you were cool gonna shit. Say. <laughs> it is. I, you know, it's like it's. Th so this is a manifestation of everything that Val Kilmer. Um, he he told me about four or five years ago. He's like, and he started to describe this. This wasn't here, but he started to tell me about it because he manifests everything, right? And then the next thing I know, the place is being built, and we're actually doing it. I love it. So we're holding events here right now to raise money for social good and Val's arts hanging on the walls. And we're currently producing Midsummer Night's Dream with kids from Inner City Shakespeare and Dr. Melanie Andrews. You know what? I watched the Val, the Val, I can't talk. I watched the Val documentary and it's awesome. But one thing that really struck me is that growing up and watching his body of work, other than something like Top Secret, where he's being silly, and but he's still staying in character, you know, and not aware of his silliness, um, <clears throat> it struck me of how playful he was. Oh my God, you hit my funny bone right there. I actually just got the chills. <laughs> you know, so I, 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 I had went no to, idea. I went to high school with him. He was kind of big brother-like. I was friends with Wesley from the movie, His Little Brother. We were filmmaking buddies and, um, Val was the funniest person I've ever met. He is the funniest person I've ever met. And he's been that for 45 years. So it's just something people don't, they know he's funny and top secret. They know about that in some of the films, Real Genius, etc. I clued in when I saw him as Mark Twain. Because I'm sitting at a workshop performance at Actors Gang Theater in 2012. And... I really didn't know where I was going. He calls me, get over to the theater in a half hour because I'd go two years without seeing him. Then he says, get over to so-and-so. And something always cool, you know, something magical happens. So anyway, I get there and I realize he's going to do Mark Twain and I thought, oh no, what a wreck. Oh my God, a one-man show about Mark Twain. This is a nightmare. <laughs> Five minutes into the performance, I realized he was fully at play. So not only was he improvising with the audience before the show started as Mark Twain, but all of that humor and all of those comic gifts, he's a physical, comical character actor. If he would have made a left instead of a right, he would have been a Saturday Night Live you know, ensemble member. And they know that too. I, went, I, I had the opportunity to go to Saturday Night Live with Val and, and meet all of them and talk with a lot of them and they consider him family. So he's part of sort of that comic contingency and I think his twain um, really put him back in touch with the Dave Chappelle's of the world and the Conan O'Brien's and people who see that spark in him so even though the average person thinks of Val as pretty boy actor lady man blah blah comics know he's a comic 
Yeah, it's really apparent in that in that documentary, and also even in some of his more serious roles, you can see that twinkle in his eye. He, he you can see the humor just behind the seriousness, which I love. But Absolutely. you know, I mean, it's so cool. On it's the, great. You, you can actually hear Robert Downey Jr. and Val laughing, like. They could they couldn't get through Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. They were having that it's much fun together. Movie. It is a great movie. And <laughs> the two movie. of them have there are those times, but I'm sorry, they are sparking yeah. during that whole film. All right, let's get to you. We could talk about Val all day, of course. He's used to that. Yeah. So let's talk about you. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Okay. I'm a Northridge Northridge kid. And uh I really I've been thinking about it a lot, obviously, making the film and writing Val's memoir with him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a lot of like <laughs> remembrances, right? And it's strange because we're writing about him, but I really grew up in a Wonder Years meets Tarantino once upon a time in Hollywood, magical time in the late 70s in the San Fernando Valley when things were fun, when you rode your bike everywhere, yeah. when hippies, I'll never forget the time, hippies jump in your pool. What are you talking about? I remember when Hendrix played Devonshire Downs, right in the center of the valley, in the middle of nowhere. But hippies had come from all over the the country and they were swimming in our pool. And that was just that that valley, that fun valley. It felt like a safe valley. And Is that what valley they're talking about when they say valley girl? Is that a valley? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's 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 the Sherman Oaks Mall. Yeah. Okay. Sherman Oaks Galleria, Valley Girl, very much a valley thing so yeah i grew up in northridge and then um my friend mira winningham who's a brilliant actress a wonderful actress um she went to chatsworth high school chatsworth might have well have been in arkansas i lived in northridge i was going to go to the high school next to my house well the thing about chatsworth was there was something magical about it they had a brilliant theater teacher named robert corelli and val kilmer found his way to chatsworth high school mira winningham you couldn't transfer in those days. So we're so used to school choice and alternative schooling and online. Uh-uh. You went to the school that was down the street. And they did not take no for an answer. You went to the school down the street. Well, my mom did some research and turns out there was a lottery to go to Chatsworth. So we go down to LAUSD and they're going to choose five out of a crowded room of maybe 100 and something. Oy. So I'm sitting next to this guy. Turns out that guy's name was Kevin Fowler. He ended up to be Kevin Spacey. Kevin was chosen, and I was chosen, and a couple other people. So I went to Chatsworth High School and largely was mentored there by Mayor and her boyfriend, Val. <laughs> and Spacey was so weird. at that time. And you know what I mean? So you, I look back on it now and I go, we, we, and, and by the way, it's not just the three of them. They went on and had careers, but so did our theater class, we are really connected right now. In a way I never, never expected. We reconnected through Facebook, blah, blah, blah. We really are in a love fest, though. Like, we're spiritually connected through the arts experiences that drove our lives. And some of those people went off CEO of Tesla, CEO of Dunhill, CEO of Entertainment Pictures, one of the most successful television production companies. And then just amazing teachers and doctors and lawyers and... Plumbers. And this is why they need arts in school. I'm telling and you. In school. And we, it we feeds into everything. It feeds into science. It feeds into language. It feeds into, uh, you know, exploration and space and technology. Oh, makes me crazy. So that's what <laughs> drove me. Now, going into Chatsworth, um, Val's little brother was going to come, and his name's Wesley. And Wesley was, and I know a little bit about this, the most gifted young filmmaker I've ever met in my life, period. And I've taught tens of thousands of kids, literally because of my meeting Wesley. He just had the most extraordinary sense of humor, extraordinary imagination, and the resources to do whatever he wanted. Plus they lived at Roy Rogers' house and they had this land. He had this old like Model T that was from the great race and everyone believed in his filmmaking. So we were making movies in the Chatsworth Hills and headed into high school, Wesley passed away. So part of that's part of the Val doc. And it's just brought back a lot of really fond, loving memories for me because he was a life force. And I also realized that that moment was a pivotal moment in Val's life and a pivotal moment in mine because that's why I decided at about age 30-ish to teach young people animation 
filmmaking at a time when really everyone does it now, but people weren't doing it so much in the, you know, in the 90s, 80s, early 80s. So I was running around with Super 8, 8 millimeter, VHS, Super VHS, the first digital cameras, and teaching young people storytelling in the early 80s. When you are so young and having another person so young pass away that you are connected to on such a deep level, I can only imagine the devastation for Val and his family, but how did... How did that hit you, just that your own mortality at such a young age when kids aren't supposed to think about stuff like that? I don't, I think it was one of those instances when we did kind of swallow. Mm. Like there was a memorial and Val headed straight to Juilliard. So he wasn't gonna be part of our senior class with, with those people doing, we were gonna have a little super group at the time. I was just a little hanger on, but, <laughs> um, but you know, it was, it was an awakening. <laughs> so I, I thought about it over the years. I gave a Wesley Award at all my summer camps. Mm. And I used to tell Val that, but I'm not sure he heard it. So we really didn't talk about all this for 45 years. And all of a sudden, the last few years, um, Val and I reconnected. And he let my high school students shoot him. I, I still say this because... As Mark Twain, I'll say it again. I received a call from Val one day in 2012 and he said, will, will your students help me? I said, are you asking my 15 and 16 year old non-film academy communication students to shoot you while you discover the character of Mark Twain before, during, and after the play? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That experience Forget it. It also says a lot about him that he understands that exactly. the uh, the innocence of a of a pure heart, a pure mind, uh, the willingness to do anything, which kids have. You know, they take leaps that adults have have feared into themselves that they won't take. You know, so, so that makes sense. You know, those kind of professional experience. I really, I'm a big believer in when we get into education, I'll talk about this, but real world experience is everything to me, like real world relevance, what's going on. And to say, you'll let somebody do that. So one of my students is a very gifted filmmaker named Mike Cannon. He was there, man, I want to say he went a dozen times, but he shot a lot of really great footage. And Leo Scott, the director of the Val Doc, was a newly on the ground in the United States editor from the UK who is basically following Val on his own dime and helping him out. So he's coordinating his filmmakers, my students, some of my old filmmaking friends, and they're shooting Val wow. for a year on the road. So it was extraordinary. That's really cool. So you graduate from high school. What was your plan? My, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I was thrown at a Tiger Beat magazine uh, when I graduated. Next thing I know, they're doing a, there's this very bizarre piece somebody just sent to me. There was no reality television back then, but there's this piece that's following me and a few of my buddies, Daryl and Patrick Cassidy from Beverly. You actually see Kevin trying to become a teen idol? Very bizarre stuff, right? So long and short, I, I was thrown in Tiger Beat once. Somebody said, hey, dude, I saw you in Tiger Beat, my sisters. And I said, no, you didn't. They said, no, dude, I saw you in Tiger Beat magazine. I said, no, you didn't. There I was. So next thing I know, they're shooting me at the Bonaventure with the girls from Little House on the Prairie. We're faking. We're going to a prom. And they're going to give me a recording contract and whatever. So wait, you were modeling or something? I was or not yet acting. Okay. And you have to understand, Mare, Mare was discovered. She's like brilliant. And we did Sound of Music in my senior year. And one of the last great cigar chomping, I'm going to make you a star kid agents came. His name was Meyer Mishkin. I believe he came to see his nephew in the chorus. But he turned to Mayor Winningham and he said, I wasn't going to take any more new clients. I think Richard Dreyfus was the last client he signed. He said, I'm signing you. Forget it. Mayor was off to the races. No college, nothing. Just off. She had an Emmy in her hand a year later. And, you know, dozens and dozens of movies, blah, blah, blah. So, um, Tiger Beat comes along and I'm, I haven't acted yet. So I'm not that. I didn't have any confidence. I was just a spindly little nervous wreck. Now you threw me on stage and I had a virtual ton of energy and kind of a Jim Carrey-like thing going on because I was a poster child for ADHD. I mean, a literal poster. They made a film called Autistic Kids with Cameras. It's about my work with 
students on the spectrum. But when you watch the film, you go, yeah, that guy, meaning the teacher, what's his thing? And the answer is, I've always had more energy than anybody in the room since I was little. I've always been slightly outside of my own skin. So um, I thought I was going to do the Tiger Beat thing. I did it for a little while and I said, nope. Moved to San Francisco, grew my hair long, started a band. Jumped and, in people's pool. Yep. <laughs> and that's it. So so went to San Francisco State, stayed there for a year, had a blast. But then moved back here because they threw me back in another band. It was for Super Teen Magazine. And next thing I know, I'm traveling with guys like Rick Springfield and, you know, all the soap opera guys. So and you were doing music. I was playing music, but... I, I I didn't know who I was, if you know what I mean. I was I really was a young comic actor who should have just studied acting and done that. But that's not that was my path. So I got a job on the Grammys. I was working for friend, with my friend Robbie Horwich. We worked on all the live TV shows, Easter Seals Telethon, March of Dimes Telethon, all the music shows, and I was a runner. And that job fit me in, in the uh, early 80s because I could get from one side of the town to the other and get you anything you wanted always. <laughs> and I loved the job because, you know, I'm walking Little Richard out to the piano. Or I'm, I loved it. It was just like everything I thought I wanted to do. The live television vibe of the 50s and 60s and the um, and just sort of a, a, a go, go, go. Everything's different. Things are constantly changing. Nothing's ever the same thing. So I graduated CSUN. And the last year, I decided to audition for a play. It's a good thing I did. I met a gal named Carol, and 38 years later, that's, uh-huh. that's my beautiful wife, Carol. And uh, so I auditioned. For, I saw this play about Shakespeare, and I said, this is the trip. So it was about Shakespeare's life. I played the role of Will Kemp. He's the comedian who stole Shakespeare away to London from his wife. And the director had this bizarre process where he for six months by the way who does this we weren't allowed to touch a script we improvised so will kemp saw a girl standing in the back one of the townspeople and he had some designs so that's how we wooed in character and then we did midsummer night stream at cal state northridge then i graduated with a degree in communications (laughs) so eclectic all of it it was all kind of fun now that i look back on it i was a communications media studies major but that's kind of what led to my pathway now as a media literacy advocate. Sure, you but, you, but you went from there, you started acting, because I know that you've done stuff in Friends and Scrubs okay. and like all these things. I actually forgot about this, but this, while Wesley and I were shooting our movies going into high school, I still can't believe this happened. I was in Tom Sawyer, and I was not a, a musical comedy guy but it was a musical version and I played Ben Rogers and the paint the fence thing but at the same time I was doing Tom Sawyer I was doing a radio show about Huck Finn I don't even have a memory of that actually I didn't realize that until just recently till we started unpacking like Wesley and unpacking that period in high school so what an interesting thing I'm working with Wesley making films and I'm pretty heavy into Twain, <laughs> which is a trip. Yeah. And so I... You manifested that into your future. You never know what's going to influence you. Yeah. So coming out of Cassie Northridge, I bumped into a guy and he started a place called the White Fire Theater on Ventura Boulevard. It's still there. Beautiful little theater. And he was just starting it and he said, I need a set and I need a this. And I, I said, I got everybody. So I moved over the lighting designer, the costume designer. We all moved into this little place called the White Fire Theater. This guy was a guy named David Beard. He was a really gifted um, sort of Southern Gothic playwright. So he'd written a very, very Mark Twain-ish, Tennessee Williams-ish piece called Scorchers. So this brilliant young group from my theater department moved in there, stage manager, office manager, theater manager, all the designers, and we built White Fire into a bayou. A literal bayou that looked exactly like Pirates of the Caribbean. We actually had real mosquitoes at one point, and that wasn't good. But we had, we had real water. It was a bayou. And we thought the play was going to run for a few weeks, only it ran for a couple years. So the night before, David fired the lead, and he put me in as one of the lead characters. And I ended up staying in that thing. So Scorchers... Um, enabled us to bring in other playwrights and we developed new plays and some of those playwrights made it off Broadway with the work that we did there 
some my understudy was Luke Perry, Patrick Warburton, Sam Jones. We had this ensemble, and most of them went off to very prominent careers in television and film. The whole time, were your parents being supportive of all of this? They, my parents were awesome. Um, they weren't of our arts world, not even a little. My dad was an engineer, very creative guy, but a, an engineer at Rockwell. And then uh, he'd come home every night, put on a tool belt, and he would <laughs> go down. He invested in real estate down in in uh, Orange County. And that, I just knew my dad. He was just seven days a week, always going, 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 working, working. And they they didn't understand the theater arts film world, not even a little bit, not at all. But my mom did go out with me when I got my first commercial and sat with me on a dry lake bed on a Pepsi commercial. And I think we, we had a conflicted relationship about it, but she was supportive, definitely. Yeah. And then you start getting more and more roles. Yeah, so, so Scorchers was um, a real launching pad for us because we sort of had eyes on us. But my actual real goal in life, I always thought my whole life, I wanted to create Winky Dink. Do you know what Winky Dink is? I don't. Winky Dink was a television show. It was a black and white television show where you... Winky would tell you to go to your Winky Dink kit and you would take out a piece of plastic and put it on your television set. And then there were Winky Dink markers. <laughs> so if Winky wanted you to draw a spaceship so that Winky could get out of a situation, you do the spaceship. It was interactive television. How cool. And I couldn't get it out of my head. So when I was making movies as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, shout out Patrick Winningham, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> were they part of your crew? Um, I just, I, I had, I had filmmaking friends and I just look back now because we still have the films and they influenced us so much. But I wanted to do something two-way. I didn't want to do something one-way. I wanted stuff to be interactive. And I, it used to boggle my mind. So when I saw shows like Pee-wee's Playhouse come along and of course like you know all the, all the Sesame Street and all the one Mr. Rogers Fair, I really was kind of obsessed with how, yeah, this is all great. I'm glad you're sending me stuff, sending me messages. I want to send them back. That's all I could think as a little kid. I want to send them back. I want to be part of this. So that led to what drove me into children's television. So I was working on a show, which is literally the template for what I'm doing today. The show is called Too Hip for TV. It was a rock and roll comedy show on NBC, and we could do whatever we want. It was in a bowling alley. It was like, <laughs> I could say, I want the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Tom Hanks. And that's what we did. It was crazy. And I was, a, I, I was a talent assistant and a production segment coordinator. And, but I was writing on it with my friend Taylor Negron and all the writers went on to Saturday Night Live and stuff. It was a very creative, silly, stupid, not such a great show, but unbelievably wonderful production experience. I wanted to do that. So leaving Whitefire, I took all that energy. I started writing for National Geographic. I was working for that show on Saban. And then I, well, when you have those aha moments in your life, what do you call those? Uh, I call them ahas. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I call them the light bulb goes off. Right, so yeah. there's, I've had a couple large spiritual light bulb experiences. You don't realize it until later, but my son, I was 30. I was in a movie called The Distinguished Gentleman with Eddie Murphy. I was like working on pilots and I had a couple commercials running. I thought I was a young actor that was finding his way. I just wasn't that good, by the way. But I disagree. Okay. I watched a couple of your things, and I thought you were great. But and now that we ain't done, it ain't over till it's <laughs> over. It's so funny because I'm just kind of now realizing, okay, I'm 60, but I think I'll start acting again. Um, I realized when I went to buy the camera for my son's birth at Broadway, if you remember the old Broadways. Anyway, there was an animation feature on the camera, and I said, "What's that?" And the guy said, I don't, nobody ever asked. I said, does that mean if I push a button on this video camera, it's going to take a frame? Does that say quarter second, half second, one second? I'll take five of them. My wife's like, what? We didn't have any money, you know? What? I said, I want five of those cameras. Because I knew in my head that that meant I could teach a stop motion animation program where we could create content that at some point in time I could use in a situation that would be give and take. So I started an animation program at age 30. I told my wife, I go, they were just launching a Power Rangers and I was working for Saban and I thought, 
I, I looked at a Power Rangers script and I, I didn't, I said, I don't even understand what's going on. Not only is this not Pee Wee's Playhouse or Sesame Street, but I don't know what's going on. Like, what is this? So I threw that to the side. I started a program in as an after-school program, ended up in 10 schools, 20 schools, 100 schools, 150 schools. Built it out to summer camps, workshops, and eventually we- With the stop motion? Stop motion yeah. animation. And uh, took a space over the NoHo Actors Studio in North Hollywood. And it just consumed me. And the more I taught young people and got out of their way, they started telling stories that were really extraordinary. So I had eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds winning film festivals. And I was just like a proud dad on the side watching it all happen. So that led to just a lot of work with young people telling their own stories. Eventually I got a call from <laughs> eventually I got a call from Luke from a, a dad and he said, Hey Brad, you changed my son's life and I said, That's great. And he said, I'm the executive producer of Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, What? And he's like, I'm the CEO of Sony, CEO of Lucasfilms. I have, an op- I have an opportunity. So he partnered me with a company called Blue Rider Pictures. At one point we were making high quality television content with young people, but they were directing. One of my assistants was a guy named Ephraim. He was teaching improv in the other room. He went on to become Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite, ah. which by the way, I, I just did something with him in this room a couple weeks ago. I love the guy. He's always stepped up. That's the other thing. I love people. I'm a big believer that like lifetime connections, you know, I think the number one skill is the ability to create, maintain, nurture a meaningful lifelong relationship. That requires forgiveness. It requires conflict resolution. It requires self-awareness. It requires all kinds of communication skills. But the people that I've met in this business who have consistently, for the last 50 years, stepped up, they mean everything to me. And I've seen it again and again and again, and Val's one of those people. All my, all my friends from my high school and college life are like that. So these opportunities for young people and suddenly they're making TV, and Ephraim was one of the stars of this high school kid from Chatsworth, and she was directing this sitcom, and we're making these shows. Eventually we did one called Celebrity Scavenger Hunt, and I was the host. And that just led to me really, really, really getting involved in not just construction of content, but deconstruction. Because the more I taught students to make films and content, the more I realized they were simply echoing or mirroring what they were being feeded, fed. So I had been an early adapter to some of the media literacy lessons in the early 80s at a school called The Country School. I went to the Center for Media Literacy where they were talking about the five key questions that every young person should ask. Who created the message? What creative techniques are being used to attract my attention? How might someone different than me view the message differently? What values and lifestyles and points of view are represented in the message or omitted, taken away, not in this message? Why was the message sent, profit or power? I was like, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life. So I put it in my pocket. (laughs) That would single-handedly shut down (laughs) Facebook, probably. (laughs) That's the whole point. I was like, like, wait a second. Everyone talks about critical thinking and... This is interesting. So eventually I was invited into what was the first charter school in 99, 2000. Explain what that is for people that might not know. At the time, I had pitched a movie to some of my movie star friends about a teacher. It was 20 years before Breaking Bad, but it was a similar story. It was a dark story about an anti-hero teacher called The Piper who goes out on a one-night Ridlin binge and enacts psychological revenge on Studio City parents from private schools. The, the idea resonated. I started to write it. My friends who were very prominent said, this is really cool, we, like, we'll make this movie, this is great. So I decided about halfway through the script that I really didn't know what it was to be a public school teacher. So I jumped into what was called a charter school. Little did I know what they were either. They didn't exist yet. This was the first public charter school in the San Fernando Valley. It was called Community Charter Middle School. There would be 20 
25 students in a classroom, they'd be sitting in a tribal circle. They'd be led by a very passionate young teacher. They'd be having outstanding conversations about incredible things. And I said, what is this place? Oh, it's a charter school. And I was like, how much are they paying? No, no, this is a public school. I, I was like, this is the future. Are you kidding me? So she allowed me to teach theater. I figured I'd be fired after a week. I'm disorganized. I had no credential. A lot of teaching experience, more like extracurricular-ish. I really did believe I'd be fired, right? And instead, I fell in love with the students. They taught me and drove all of the lessons, project-based learning style, that eventually brought me my curriculum, which was, by the way, Facebook. My partner was producing the social network. I was in early on Facebook, and I was like, oh, who's the teacher that's going to write the curriculum about this? What are you talking about? Who's the teacher that's going to write the high school curriculum? Because this platform is going to lead to a shit ton of trouble. <laughs> it's going to lead to some brilliant connectivity and some wonderful magic <laughs> and a virtual ton of trouble for young people. Who's writing it? So that's what we did. We wrote our own. We used the platform. We talked about the platform. I opened 10 pages. And I challenged my students to 10 years of what they call light, bright, and polite. It's a, a book written by a guy named Josh Ox who wrote the social media curriculum for Disney. Light, bright, and polite. In other words, never post political, never post religious. And why would you ever go negative? Why? Why? You're an artist. You don't want to alienate half your market share. You're your business person. So light, bright, and polite. Do I overshare? Yes. Horribly so. Do I, um, am I whimsical? Am I me? Am I out there? I'm an extrovert. What the hell? I don't care. I use the platform to fill schools. So knowing that if I turn the controls over to the students and let them create performance art and spoken word animation, and that if we started using that, we would keep our schools filled. And by the way, education is the most competitive thing I've ever been in my whole life. Forget comedy and music and entertainment and tech. Forget it. Education is the most cutthroat, intense, competitive environment there is, period. The end of discussion. So I used the platforms with my students to create campaigns that led to student enrollment. And now my company, SparkRise. I took a thousand kids to see a movie in 2011. I knew the movie was sponsored, so we closed school. We made, they, they needed students. We made signs in five languages and we walked to the movie theater and we took over the Arclight theaters to see Waiting for Superman. It was a movie about charter schools. But I knew that they had a giveaway at the end of the movie and it was a text, text to donate process and it was like eight different steps. It was a real pain in the butt actually. <laughs> you had to do a whole bunch of different things. But I was like, hmm, leave me a microphone in the theaters. So I filled the theaters and I said, shoot me. And I got my students to shoot me. I said, we're going to do something. We're going to do the assignment that we're doing in my class, which is take a technology you love and project it 10 years in the future. Build a presentation and present it in front of us. So in this case, I said, corporate giving's the future. It's obviously not quite here yet, but it is today. We're all going to push some buttons. We're going to make a lot of money. We made like 30 grand. And donors choose money through that. And I kept that in my head. So now the company's called SparkRise. We're really launching in a few weeks. Um, we have really beautiful people involved in this company from all over the world, influencers, tech people, philanthropy. It, it's a great idea in its simplicity, which is click on something, you receive something, and a donation goes to a cause. That simple. We all know we're being marketed to. I actually really enjoyed the last year in terms of understanding there was so much going on, wasn't there? Right, so, so not just was it a fascinating conversation about where the last several years have led us with the lack of media literacy in the country, but the Black Lives Matter conversation and then the conversations around marketing and Facebook and because I've been teaching about this for 20 years. These aren't conspiracies you're being marketed to. They have all your information. Yeah. There's no such thing as privacy. All the things we taught for 20 years suddenly are all present all at once yeah. 
And it, it seemed just, last summer was just like, whoa. Have you had criticism then about people thinking that? People, you know, those were the days when people went, I put on my privacy setting and I said, there's no such thing of privacy. That's why Zuckerberg flop is in a flop sweat in his interview. We would watch the flop sweat interview <laughs> where he literally breaks into a flop sweat when they ask him about privacy. God bless him. But, you know, he created something bigger than himself. Well, you know, so I was so interested in the way we engage with our social media. And by the way, if you're the person who actually lets it get to you, there's a problem. It's a marketing platform. Use it as thus find some healthy alternative way of living yeah you know the other day i um i had put on facebook i asked people tell me the story of the first time you fell in love and why and all these people posted these really great stories a couple people were funny you know whatever but there was one in particular that um somebody talked about when they were seven years old and a little ron howard was in her uh, horse riding class she fell off the horse and he was the only one that helped her and so she was madly in love with little seven-year-old ron howard and uh anyway she told this really beautiful story so i posted it on my twitter and i said isn't this a lovely story hoping that maybe ron howard would see it and have that lovely uh acknowledgement of what a good person he is not that he needs that but you know right, what I mean. Sure. and somebody uh underneath on twitter where people get very grumpy very fast said you should tell it because I said, oh, I asked all my people. I explained what I had done, and and he said, you should tell them all to delete Facebook. It's a cesspool pool of rot and terribleness and all this stuff. And I, I desperately, I was didn't respond because I don't respond to that kind of stuff. But I really thought, isn't that interesting? Like I put really happy things and interesting things on my Facebook. You like bright and polite. You are. Yeah, I try are. and put good things. And there. You, and you know what you do? It's a place to celebrate other people's accomplishments. Oh, absolutely. You know, just like any culture building thing in a company. Yeah. Why would you, you know, I went to a play. What, your friends play and you're going to talk negatively about it the next day? Or you, you didn't like your friend's film, so you need to tell what? The public? Would you wear it on your shirt? Right. If you can't wear it on your shirt, don't put it on your page. Yeah. The end. Yeah, and I think we, I believe in the village. I think we need each other to lift yeah. each other up. I really believe that. So anyway, he just went on and on. And I just thought, oh, how funny. This poor guy is so wrapped up in his own anger that he's not even seeing the forest for the trees. You yeah. know, he's just lumping everything together. It so was I really, truly do believe that a media literacy class will be a an approved course, a, a through G, within the next few years. I've been talking about this now for 20 years, but media literacy really needs to start in elementary school, and, and, and we need to build the program up and out. But it wasn't the students who behaved badly, and they do, but it was the parents. Mm. They're out of control. So I, I really have been interested in watching those over 40 engage with technology <laughs> and just discussing, reading articles about the behavior, discussing the behavior, and then discussing what can we do looking at our own digital behavior yeah. to address it. For me, that's things like meditation and mindfulness and it's things like Spolin work if you know yeah. who Viola Spolin was I do I went to Second City there so. you go so like Paul Sills Viola's son was a very very important mentor to me I got to meet him at the end of his life and work with him and I'll never be the same quite frankly but that work is magical and when you take that ability to get it outside of yourself, whatever that is, for some people it's like recovery, for some people it's whatever it is <laughs> to get you out of your head and into the present, I say is a good thing. Mm. And yeah, your phone's probably going to be off if you're truly there. That's true. Should be off. That is true. So sparkrise.com. And again, this is a very simple concept. It's a click on, it's a click to donate model, except the brand puts up the offer. So brands want to engage with you, right? So they want you to see their thing. Okay, we already know we're being marketed to. And again, this is what I liked about the summer. There were documentaries about it and everyone goes, oh my gosh, Facebook's marketing desk. Are you, no kidding, right? So that's literally, we would take apart Facebook pages in my class or watch a video game with the sound off and write what we actually see or with the picture off, what do you actually hear in a video game? Different ways of deconstructing the things we use every day. And over the summer, there was this big wave of we're being marketed to. Well, of course we are. And by the way, corporation, no kidding, right? I mean, we all have our Amazon stories, our love hate <laughs> right, right now with Amazon. But in this case, corporations must do good. And I love you, whoever you are, but just because you're telling me you give a dollar doesn't mean you're giving a dollar. 
I'd like to have a third party sort of like be, hold you accountable for that. And I'm okay with you being transparent about your good as long as you're actually being good. So don't run around and use my organization or whatever just to sell your thing. However, if you would like to put some of your marketing dollars towards a, dollars towards a philanthropic effort and you know, in exchange for looking at your offer or your commercial or your trailer or a free scoop of ice cream, you're telling me that a couple bucks goes to my poetry thing, Get Lit, I'm all over it. I will participate. I am now part of a using community as a consumer, we get to be part of something we don't have to reach for our wallet. We don't have to give our credit card. And I love that because I love you, but I'm not necessarily going to put my credit card down on you. Not necessarily. Right. Just well, that's for, an interesting model. Yeah. Yeah. So SparkRace is going to have a party and we're celebrating our friend Val uh, from Hellmel Studios. So on September 25th, Val has always been um he's always believed in veterans causes and in and supporting the military so when he launched 20 he launched at the american legion hall so we're going to do something for the uso and for val's twain mania foundation we're going to use spark rise there's going to be a click model with a donation will be made but hopefully you'll come and also make give us a dollar hopefully right but we're going to wrap it all around Top Gun. So there's all this fun energy, right? Val's movie's out on Amazon. Um, Top Gun Maverick comes out next year, and it's going to be something special. And we're going to literally live the mission, vi mission and vision of this place, which is we've invited rock stars and friends of Val's, community activists and artists, in to have a party, a potluck, where we're going to raise money for the USO and Twain Mania. And I'll show everybody how Spark Rise works that night. I love it. And that's the September 25th. September 25th. Go to sparkrise.com. We're, we're on a platform called Beam. B-E-E-M. I love this. You can not only show a movie and have a watch party with your friends, but you can interact in ways that you just can't with Zoom and some of the other Twitch, some of the other platforms. It's the best way to show content and create an interactive experience within the screen. So we're showing Top Gun. We're gonna stop the movies a few times. There's some very, 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 very special surprises. And uh, then we're having an after party. And uh, that's on a platform called Display. Social that pays. Thank you, Display. I'm so tired of Facebook and I see my students. I have one student named Maya Mayor. She got two million hits on her poem. How much did Maya get? Zero. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Yeah. I mean, as a professional songwriter, let me tell you. <laughs> On display, yeah. you actually get back 50% of the ad revenue. That's incredible. So if you partner up SparkRise, this very innovative platform Beam, and this very innovative platform Display, we're a triple threat right now of innovative disruptors who are going to raise money for causes. Are you having pushback from the bigger places that are in establishment? Nope. The status quo? Nope. Not yet. That's good. So we're doing this... Not yet. August 25th. <laughs> You know, it's funny, this idea that we're talking about, yeah, we're going to do rock concerts. We have done rock concerts. We did a Lita Ford concert. We did the Walk to End Alzheimer's. I could go on and on. But I also ran smaller campaigns. This means that the speech teacher at a school is an influencer. This means that all the parents could say, click on a donation for a real estate agent and the money goes to the school so right now people are hanging banners on schools all over the country that nobody look at they're get they're giving ten thousand dollars at the banquet for why to be a sponsor of the dessert table everyone's drunk anyway and you know what i mean no one's truly getting the benefits or the, the roi off that donation so spark rise is not only good for the, you and me because we get to play all over the place and, and by the way it is fun to go i get a free scoop of ice cream can i give this to my sister yes and my grandma, yeah, give it away. Okay, this is a fun way to give back. I'm simply sharing this thing. So as interested as I am in the ball games and the TV shows, putting Spark Rise at the end of movies, I'm fascinated by what it could do for school education. Mm. It reinvents the way. I, I was gonna make a shirt that said bake sales are dead. Just bake sale and put a big X through it. Because they are, for one thing. They're dead. Galas are dead. It's over, <laughs> you know? There's gotta be a better way. And also, I like the idea of uh, you slightly bend the man's hand behind their back and you say, corporations, we're going to nod, nod, wink, wink, help you in this endeavor 
to give back. We're going to actually be helpful to you. And I've got a big smile on my face right now, listeners. Yeah. Do you miss uh, being involved in the acting part of your life? Val's been really amazing the last few years. We've been on the road with Mark Twain, with his Citizen Twain play shot partially by my students, but by Leo Scott. And I will jump up on stage with him, right? Because we are brothers. <laughs> We're brothers, soul brothers at least, and I can finish his sentences. So it's a, it led to some very vaudevillian-like interaction, and we really had a good time. Um, actually, the documentary, we originally pitched a reality show, and we wrote several episodes of a hybrid comedy show. And he's been really, really amazing with me about like fostering and 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 helping me find the actor and writer that has existed, but I've really been active as of late. So, activism seems like your your big thing. It is. I I, I I've, I've I've always felt like I got one one really good dark movie on me, and I think I do. So I make it. It's something I've witnessed in education in the last decade, and it's pretty out there. It's a it's a true story. It's a, it's a historic story, mm. that's all I'll say, and it's something that I'm pitching. So it's something I, that's something that I would very much like to do is one great film. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to do a lot of work, but one. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Though it seems to me that your work really is encouraging people to, if they, if they dream it, it will come. And that, that field of dreams type of feeling that that if they have the idea if they have the spark that the spark will catch fire if they put the work in and I they do believe, dare to leap I do believe in the Twain thing you know I think it's Val's words in the Twain movie but Twain said something like it but you know do what you love so well that someone will pay you wages for it mm. you know so for, and you're, you're you and I are similar in the fact that you're a brilliant artist, brilliant songwriter, brilliant filmmaker, communicator, writer. You've got all these different facets of yourself. I don't know how you land on one of them. <laughs> I don't either. I'm finding, though, that because I'm older, and I am a lot older, the culmination of all of it is fun, too, which is just like, oh, let's do it all. A little bit of acting, a little bit of tech, a yeah, little bit of education, a little bit of activism, a little bit of media literacy, a little bit... It's like sitting down at a table, a feast of all these different foods. Do I want to spend all my time eating the one dish? Or do I want to eat all these delicious dishes? Which brings us back to Val's movie Potluck on August 25th <laughs> to raise money for the USO and the Twain Mania Foundation. Can I talk about Twain Mania for yes, one second? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so Val, it is the most playful performance ever. Now people have access to Val again because the Amazon film. Did you get to see Mark Twain? I never did. Okay, so you have to, okay? I need to, yes, absolutely. It's not just a one-man show. It's something else, right? So you'll be on... Uh, Our me mutual friend Jeff says it's brilliant. No, you're like, let me see that Kilmer thing, whatever. And then at the end you go, what was that? <laughs> because it, it, it's just a playful, spiritual, brilliant... Uh, it, it's brilliant. The writing's amazing. Val's work is stunning. But it's a call to media literacy. It's a literal healing for our times. So our plan is to bring back Twain through Val's performance with a curriculum. We're dealing with several strategic agencies, global agencies in education, to really ask young people, what does it mean to be an engaged citizen? Or what does it mean to be a real American? But apply that globally. That means that you are media deliberate. That means that you do practice tolerance. That means you understand that empathy is a skill that must be developed over your lifetime. And to me, that's those are some of the themes of the movie that resonate within the film, and that's what Twain Mania does. But Twain Mania also, in the meantime, before the film comes out, helps fund things like Get Lit. That's poetry in L.A. Amazing. Is that the, the program that you were telling me about Get earlier? Get Lit changed my entire life, the lives of my students, and the lives of my schools and communities right in front of me. So Get Lit reaches now tens of thousands of LA youth, but it's about to go global with a new digital platform called Universe. It is the smartest, coolest way to teach spoken word and poetry and literacy in high schools and middle schools. And literally my students, I watched them go from zero to a trillion. They had a film out this summer called Summertime. It was in 
150 plus theaters, I think, written by my former students from my high school, from my Get Lit program. Last week I went to the Hollywood Bowl and I saw my first Get Lit poet. She's called the artist Her. That's crazy. That's crazy. And by the way, she wasn't the kid in the school who was the, she was the one against the fence who was kind of keep playing it cool, keeping quiet. And she discovered Get Lit in my class. And next thing I know, she was lighting up the stage. And her partner, Maya, is one of the stars of this movie, Summertime. Mm. I started a high school um, with some people called VIP High School. It's in, now at Roscoe and Wilbur. I'm radically proud of it. We designed it very specifically. They just got a beautiful new building. They're national speech and debate champions. Mm -hmm. They're get lit poetry champions. And they all play rock and roll. So we all, Chuck Cochran, my friend, dragged in all of his equipment. And we, we were trying to build a high school really fast. We did it in two months, by the way. It's crazy. And I said, what bring, so we just sat around, we're like, what brings students to school? Okay, it's like rock and roll, spoken word, self-expression, right? And then no PE, we meditated. I didn't even know how to meditate before the high school started. I, I, I lied a lot of times. I said, yeah, that was great. It wasn't great. I learned how to meditate from my students at VIP high school in 2015. It changed my entire life. Wow. So. Think about all the little fires you have started that are now raging everywhere, all around. It's such an exciting thing. It's such a legacy. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful to know all the minds that have exploded in your, in your presence that you've facilitated. <laughs> I'm going, I don't know if it's just my age, but I'm bumping into a lot of students right now. And many are working with me and they're working professionally with me. I feel like the luckiest man in the world. There's no other way to say it. I was gifted thousands of amazing young people. And now I get to be an old man and they get to be amazing with me next to my side, sometimes working on the same project. There's an unspoken language. I literally don't need to talk to some of them. They already know what's going on in my head because they've been in my class or whatever. And the gift of being able to engage with that daily, I just didn't understand. I didn't know it was coming. Let's just say that. So yeah, I get a little bit. It's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's. You are lucky. I'm the luckiest man in but the world. But so are those kids. They're lucky. They're lucky because you could spend your whole life without somebody ever seeing you. And you've seen so many kids. And now they're adults who in turn see other kids. That's huge. Yeah. As a kid that grew up in not being seen. That's the, the last speech I gave at that high school at the graduation was about being seen. Yeah. It's exactly what you're talking about. Which just requires, you know, don't just do something, stand there. You need to learn how to be present. Stop, lay aside your belief system, just be present and see the person in front of you. Be an adult, teacher, maintenance worker, office person. Look Human. at who's right in front of you, right? <laughs> yeah. I agree. Kindness is a skill and so is listening. So is empathy, like you said. So is believing in something bigger than yourself or even smaller. It's that Horton hears a who. Right. You know? Well said. Yeah. Brad, tell people how they can find you one more time. Okay, I'm Brad Kopenick. You're welcome to Facebook me. K-O-E-P-E-N-I-C-K. But uh, B. Kopenick on Instagram. But sparkrise.com, valkilmer.com. And take a look at what's going on with Twain Mania because we really want you there that night. September 25th. I, I promise you on <laughs> September 25th only because this is a once in a lifetime a once in a lifetime opportunity to explore Val's amazing magical manifesting powers and do something really special and have a literal blast because the people yeah. that are coming it's ridiculous everyone's saying yes. That's it's going to be a, an incredible. And movie. also, listeners, I've mentioned this the documentary a few times now on the show in the past few weeks, and Val's documentary is is excellent. It's on Amazon. Um, what's that noise? Is that hammering? That is hammering. Oh my goodness! Or 
It's time to get out of here. Yeah, no doubt. The, the militia has arrived. So yeah, check out Val on Amazon. Uh, Leo Scott and Ting Poosh, she won the Academy two years ago, Academy Award two years ago. They've done something very special. It really, and everything you think you know about Val Kilmer, throw it out the window because you don't know <laughs> until you've seen this. It's, he's a, he's a mosaic. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. <laughs> Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.